Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today we're going to be covering another solved true crime case and this one is probably going to be a longer video like I've been promising all along. I'm really excited to be doing these longer videos now and in the future. I've got so much planned. I even might have a few collabs coming up which I'm really excited to do. So don't forget to subscribe and hit that bell icon so you can be notified when I do those collabs. It's really exciting. I just like to point out this video has not been made to cause disrespect or anything like that. It's just been made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various from public sources on the internet. Now with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. David Anthony McGreevy was born in 1951 in the English town of Southport. He is the second eldest of what would eventually be six children to Bella and Thomas McGreevy. Now the McGreevy's family were a forces family and this meant the family were relocated quite often depending on where Thomas McGreevy, David's father, would be stationed. Thomas McGreevy was a sergeant in the Royal Signals. The constant moving, as you can imagine, was very, very tough on all the children. They had to uproot their lives all of a sudden, make new friends, and go to new schools. David's mother, Bella, claimed that David had been at his happiest when they lived in Germany. When David was 15 in 1967, he left school to fulfill his lifelong dreams of joining the Royal Navy. It was, however, when he was in the Royal Navy that the first problems would arise. David would drink very, very heavily. And when he was drunk, he was known to have had a very, very quick temper, and a very, very violent temper that could without warning or provocation. His first naval posting was on the HMS Eagle in Portsmouth. David's colleagues were struck by his arrogance and cockiness, and as a result of this behaviour he was often the subject of disciplinary measures. Most notably was in the 1960s, when he was stationed on the RNAS Browdy in Pembrokeshire. When he was stationed in Pembrokeshire, he was actually sentenced to 90 days detention due to negligence. This was all because of him showing up to his watch duty drunk and agitated. Whilst he was on watch duty, he broke into an officer's wardroom and started a fire in a waste paper bin. He then raised the alarm for the fire, but he then claimed he was not responsible for it. He was the only witness to the fire and the Navy didn't believe him one bit that he was not responsible. The Navy then court-martialed him. Fortunately for David, he managed to evade any arson charges. However, due to him being on watch duty, he was charged with negligence. This negligence charge actually marks the beginning of what would be the end of David's naval career. While he was in this 90 days detention, David's commanding officer ordered a psychiatric evaluation of David. Interestingly, the results of this psychiatric evaluation are not known. It was not ever sent to David's parents, nor was it published in the aftermath of the crimes that were committed in this case. This personally says to me that something notable came up during the psychiatric exam in relation to David, but for some reason it was squashed or the Navy are just trying to hide it, maybe? I'm not sure, that's a bit of a conspiracy. Whatever the case, it's a bit suspect that David's parents haven't seen the results of the psychiatric evaluation. In January of 1971, David actually began writing to a young woman called Mary. Now, Mary was actually the sister of one of his colleagues in the Navy. And by April of that same year, David had actually proposed to Mary. And he proposed to her just one week after meeting her in person for the first time. Mary had many debilitating health problems and David's parents didn't like her one bit. However, this would not stop David. Due to his arrogance, he decided not to listen to any of his friends and family and just to throw himself into the relationship. In August of 1971, David was finally discharged from the Navy on account of all of his bad behavioural problems. 
problems. This had a devastating effect on David. And with nowhere else to go, he returned to his parents' house in Worcester. He then began a vicious cycle of drifting from one short-term job to another short-term job. At all of these jobs, he was eventually fired for his arrogance, his attitude, and his misuse of alcohol. With all these constant failures in his career, David decided to throw himself more and more and more into his relationship with Mary, and he became obsessed with the relationship and her. And despite him being unemployed and very poor, he had planned out a very lavish wedding to take place around Christmas time of that same year. However, as you can imagine, this obsession with Mary and the relationship began to drive Mary away from David. And then on New Year's Eve of 1971, Mary broke up with David. She called off the engagement. In the month that followed January of 1972, David continued to live at his parents' house. He was so devastated from losing Mary that he essentially became a complete loser and a slob. He never actively seeked out new work and he wouldn't do anything to help around the house. And he continued to drink more and more and more alcohol. His parents, after numerous attempts to try to help David, they got fed up and they kicked David out later that year. Fortunately though for David, he wasn't homeless for long. By mid-1972, David had moved in as a lodger with an old school friend of his called Clive Ralph. Clive lived with his heavily pregnant wife, Elsie, and together they had two children. They all lived in a two-bedroom house on Gillam Street, Worcester. The two children were a four-year-old boy called Paul and a one-year-old girl called Dawn. Then in September of 1972, Elsie gave birth to a beautiful baby girl that they called Samantha. Now David paid Ralph six pounds a week in rent and he shared his room with the four-year-old boy Paul. Unlike how he lived at his parents' house, David now actually paid his dues. He helped out regularly around the house and helped out with looking after the children. Clive was a long-distance lorry driver so often spent days, sometimes weeks, away from home. To the Ralph family, David had become a very important and trustworthy member of the family. Things were finally starting to look up for David and despite his alcohol problems that still persisted, he had managed to keep a job at a local factory. In March of 1973, Elsie began work as a barmaid at the Punchbowl Tavern, which was a few miles away from the family home. The couple were putting aside their extra money for the children's futures. Due to Elsie working at the bar and Clive working away a lot more so they could get more money, David ended up spending a lot more time looking after the children. The neighbors described David as being someone who loved the children so much, and he was always seen playing with them and assumed a father figure role for them when needed. Everything was finally working out for David and the Ralph family trusted him entirely. David finally had a job and a purpose. That was all until Friday the 13th of 1973, a day that would destroy the lives of the Ralph family forever. Elsie had been working a late night shift like she did most days of the week at the Punchbowl Tavern and usually Clive would come and pick her up from the tavern and bring her home and on this day he did do just that. Clive helped Elsie close up shop and they had a last orders pint together. While Clive and Elsie were finishing up, David was at home looking after all the children. That evening, Clive did the same as they almost always do. He left the children under the supervision of David and then went to pick up Elsie. And as per usual, David had been drinking. He'd been drinking in Bucks Hill Pub in Worcester. He'd been doing this since the early evening and had had about five to seven pints of beer. There had even been a small altercation between David and one of his friends at the pub. And this was because one of David's friends 
put their cigarette butts in his drink. As David and his friend were having words about the altercation outside and were seemingly clearing things up, Clive Ralph arrived to pick up David to bring him home to look after the children so Clive could then go on to pick up Elsie and bring her home. What would happen next would be one of the most horrific and largely unexplained crimes to have ever happened in Britain. Somewhere between 10.15 and 11.15, David lost his temper with the Ralph children. Samantha, who was the newborn baby who at this point was seven months old, had awoken from her nap and was crying out for her feeding bottle. David, in a drunken state, began to shout at the baby from afar, telling the baby to shut up, but obviously because Samantha is a baby, this had no effect on her. So David decided to place his hand over Samantha's mouth to silence her. In fact, David placed his hand over Samantha's mouth and covering her nose so hard that he ended up strangling her. When Samantha stopped breathing, David realised and then went immediately to the family bathroom. David then grabbed a razor from the family bathroom and used it to mutilate Samantha, the seven-month-old baby. He then caused a fatal compound fracture to her skull by beating her severely. Once he was sure Samantha was dead, he then turned his attention to the other Ralph children. Paul, the now five-year-old boy, and Dawn, the now two-year-old girl, were both sleeping soundly upstairs and had seemingly slept through the entire brutal attack. David first went into Dawn's bedroom and strangled her in her bed. But miraculously, Dawn survived this strangling. And as soon as David realised this, he grabbed the same razor that he had used on Samantha and slit Dawn's throat. David then went and found some curtain wire in the house and used it to strangle Paul to death. David had brutally murdered all three Ralph children, but he was not done yet. After killing all of the children, David then decided to mutilate them all again. But David wasn't satisfied with the results. So he went into the basement of the house and found a pickaxe. He then used the pickaxe to further horrifically mutilate the three Ralph children. But David was still not done. Before fleeing the scene of the crime, David dragged each of the children's bodies one by one into the back garden. He then picked up each child and impaled them on the iron spikes of the next door neighbor's fence. Neighbors to the Ralph house heard several loud bangs and the sound of Samantha crying. They then saw lights being turned on and off again in the house. The lights would come on in one bedroom, turn off, then turn on in the next bedroom, and then turn off again. And then in the bathroom and then at the basement. The neighbors grew so concerned that they rang for the police and a patrol car was immediately dispatched. The police, when they arrived, knocked on the front door of the house, but there was no answer. So the officers decided to go to the back of the house. Now at this point, the officers were under the impression that it was a potential domestic violence case due to the loud banging and the children crying. It could have been, um, they suspected Clive to have been hitting or hurting Elsie so what they saw next really, really scarred them. They switched on their torches and walked around to the back of the properties, and it was there that they made the most unimaginable, horrific discovery. A police officer vomited when he saw the sight of the three children brutally mutilated and impaled on the fence. The police quickly noted that the children's parents were missing and searched the house top to bottom. Meanwhile, Clive and Elsie were coming back from the tavern and coming down the street, and when they got to their house, 
they weren't being allowed into the front door. They were being denied access to their own home. Clive and Elsie would never ever return to their home again. They were immediately taken to the police station and questioned. And it quickly became clear that Clive and Elsie had nothing to do with the murders. The police told the couple that there had been a murder and that there was an investigation ongoing. Elsie became absolutely hysterical and was actually given a sedative to calm her down. The focus of the police quickly moved away from Elsie and Clive and moved on to the only other person that lived in the house, David McGreevy. David was quickly picked up just a few hours later on a nearby road to the crime scene. When he was arrested, he was asking the police what was going on and categorically denied having any knowledge of the murders taking place. Several hours later during questioning, the normally arrogant and cocky young man finally broke down and admitted to killing the three children. To this day, a motive for the senseless killings has not been found. Besides David being unable to quieten down Samantha, even though he made very, very, very little attempt to stop her from crying, it would have been as easy as giving the feed bottle to Samantha, something that he would have done hundreds and hundreds of time whilst looking after the children. There was no motive at all for killing the two other children. Like I said earlier, everyone who knew David claims that he had a massive love for children and there was nothing in his past to suggest otherwise. When David was asked at a later date about his motives for committing the crime, he simply said, that's something that I'm trying to figure out. On Monday, the 16th of April, 1973, David made the first of what would be 10 appearances in court. His hearing lasted all of 10 minutes before he was charged with the murders of the three Ralph children. It was just 10 weeks after the murders that the trial began and David ends the trial with a guilty plea. Some of the injuries to the children were so horrific that the prosecution refused to bring them up in court. The trial lasted all of eight minutes. On the 30th of July, 1973, David McGreevy was sentenced to life imprisonment for the murders of the three Ralph children. His minimum term served was set at no less than 20 years before he would even be considered for any kind of parole. In prison, as a child killer, David was the subject of a lot of hatred from the inmates. He had been attacked and assaulted on several occasions. His cell was regularly trashed and smashed up and inmates peed and excremated on all of his possessions. He spent the majority of his time in prison living under Rule 43, which is a rule of protection that caters for prisoners that are vulnerable and prisoners that are requiring protection. Several times during his sentence, he was moved back into the general population from these protected areas. And every single time he was moved back into the general population, he was attacked and assaulted again. So they had to put him back into the protection zones. Since being incarnated, David has applied for parole nine times, and each time he was denied. However, in 2006, David was actually being prepared for parole due to the amount of time that he has served. He was staying at a bail hostel in Liverpool. He was surprisingly permitted to walk around Liverpool unsupervised, and this was done in preparation for his release. When this was leaked to the media, his photos were printed on all the newspapers, national and local. And due to public outrage, David was sent back to prison on closed conditions. In 2009, David tried to move back to open conditions and used human rights laws in an attempt to claim anonymity. And this anonymity order was actually granted. He would go under the name of Prisoner M. However, he was told that he would not be released on parole or anything like that 
that he would have to stay in closed conditions. And this was done in order to protect him from any attacks from other inmates. And this order meant that the media were not permitted to report on anything to do with his parole. This order lasted for four years and was quashed in 2013. By this point, David had served 40 years in prison for the murder of three children. When the order was lifted on May 22nd, 2013, his true identity was revealed. David's bed was immediately urinated on and human excrement was smeared all over his cell walls by other inmates. He was immediately transferred to a vulnerable prisoner's unit where he remains until this day. In my opinion, he should be serving life in prison for what he did. It was senseless and cold-blooded murder. He should be he should be spending life in prison and I don't think he should be up for parole at all. Unfortunately, due to the horrific nature of the crimes and the trauma, Clive and Elsie's marriage broke down. They divorced not long after the murders. In December of 2018, just last month, after a oral hearing, a parole board report stated that he had changed considerably over the last 40 years and they legally cleared him for release on parole. This has been a very, very controversial move that has stirred somewhat of a big outcry in the public. Now, it's not clear when he will be released on parole or if he already has been released on parole. I was unable to find that out on the internet. But what we do know is that soon, a man that brutally murdered three young children for seemingly no reason will walk amongst the British public once more. Thank you so much for watching this true crime episode in my Curious Case series. If you're new here, I usually upload two videos a week, one on Wednesdays, which is typically a conspiracy theory video, but that might just be any video that I feel like doing on Wednesdays. But then on Sundays, every Sunday at 8 p.m. UK time, I upload a brand new true crime video. So be sure to subscribe and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every time that I post. I'd just like to thank you all for all your really, really nice comments on my last video. Um, and thank you so much for understanding why I had to end that series early. And I really, really hope that you start to enjoy the longer videos that I'm posting. Now, with all that being said, I'll see you in the next video. Worcester. Worcester. His minimum term, his minimum, his minimum, his minimum, I can't say that word, minimum.